Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. That's IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and one of the hosts for First State Insights. This episode tackles a subject we face on a daily basis, conflict. The focus is on conflict management. What is it? How is it different from conflict resolution? And why and how can leaders get better at it? Let's get to the conversation. My name is Danielle Voda, and I work in IPA's Conflict Resolution Program. I am joined today by our graduate assistant, Ruth DeCoff. Say hello, Ruth. Hello. And our fabulous guest, Patricia Porter. Patricia is the founder and president of Conflict Connections, located in San Antonio, Texas. She has spent the past 27 years facilitating team dialogues, coaching leaders, and training leadership teams in a variety of settings to include federal and state agencies, higher education institutions, the private sector, and large family businesses globally. Thank you so much, Patricia, for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. So what is conflict management and how is it different from conflict resolution? Let's first define conflict and conflict results when two or more people perceive a difference of strongly held beliefs, values, goals, facts, communication styles, or needs. So I want to make sure everyone understood that because when I go to organizations and work with leaders and I have a leader tells me we don't have conflict in our organization, I'm like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) so what do you mean by conflict? So that's what we wanted to establish is that definition. What's the difference? In 20 years, seven years of practice, a lot of people will call me and say, we need conflict resolution training. And I'll be like, well, what does that mean to you? And what it really came down to is they were wanting conflict management. So conflict management, first of all, suggests that not all conflict can be resolved. So that's normal, that not all conflict can be resolved. And so we have to be uh, able to accept that that is the fact of life. It is important to note that there are opportunities for conflict to grow based on daily microaggressions or triggers or hot buttons, we might call it, that we experience throughout the day. So our ability to first recognize what's going on with that, to manage and deal with conflict more effectively, as well as addressing any evolving issues early is important to keep conflict from actually escalating into a bigger issue. Now, so what does that mean for conflict resolution? So conflict resolution is an actual process of either reducing or solving a problem between different individuals or even different teams. This requires the ability to, again, to recognize the early signs of conflict and then using various strategies to resolve the actual issue. So conflict management, especially on those things we can't you know, necessarily resolve, but we have to manage those uh, triggers and hot buttons to actually resolving an issue, which allows parties to move forward. Yeah, that really reminds me of the example where there are, there's a waterfall and people are falling off the waterfall. So you have the people that are there at the end that are trying to pull the people out. And that's like the conflict resolution. And then the conflict management is like go into the bridge and seeing there's a hole in the bridge. So you like put some signs around it or you patch it up and you say like, hey, you know, don't fall in this hole. Um, that said that preparatory kind of work, but both ends are, are so crucial. Which also says that means you have to communicate. Right, right. Right. If there's no signs and we're not communicating and we don't see the early 
swirls of the, you know, the mist coming up and we don't see the signs that there's danger, then absolutely we're falling. (laughs) And then we've got to figure out now, how do we resolve this? Absolutely. So why is conflict management especially important for leaders? So managers are the day-to-day, right? They manage daily operations. They can be great operators. Leaders are about leaning. They're about having vision, strategy, and the ability to influence, inspire their team, their organization. And the reason it's important for leaders to be conflict competent, and this is coined by Craig Rundy and Tim Flanagan in the book, Becoming Conflict Competent Leaders. And the reason it's important for them to do that is to cultivate an organizational culture of mutual respect, especially in the face of differences. Now, differences can be differences because we have cultural, different cultural backgrounds. We have different experiences. We have different personalities. We have different communication. Doesn't necessarily mean a difference of an issue, but all of those differences come into play. And so how do we model as leaders constructive behaviors? How do we ensure civility during times of stress, change, and conflict? And in order for leaders to be conflict competent, they first must be able to, one, understand the dynamics of conflict. Number two, they have to be self-aware of their own trigger points and reactions, which has a lot to do with their own mindset about conflict. You know, they're either conflict avoidant or they're very conflict, you know, competitive. The other is they need to be able to recognize the signs of brewing conflict. How good are their observation skills? They need to be able to engage others in the conversation, not be afraid of the conversation. And finally, they need to be able to influence and develop others in conflict management and resolution. So a lot of really important things that they need to learn to do first in order to be conflict competent. I think that makes a lot of sense and why it's often seen that humility is the foundational virtue of mature leadership and that humility involves that level of self-awareness that you were talking about in order to be conflict competent. In addition to humility, we also, you know, we, we see a lot now in vulnerability. How are leaders being vulnerable to uh, not seeing vulnerability as a weakness, but seeing vulnerability in themselves and allowing others to be vulnerable because we see that as a strength. And if you're not familiar with Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, she speaks highly of vulnerability. Have you heard about that? Yes, that's a great book and her podcast also. Yes, check it out, leaders. So. With that in mind, what barriers do leaders face trying to change how conflict is being viewed and managed in their organization? I think the first thing they, um, that needs to be looked at is the organization's culture and their mindset about conflict. Over the years, we have, I've worked with many uh, conflict avoidant cultures. Back to that leader who said, we don't have conflict in our organization. I thought, okay, now how do they define conflict? Because it's very natural, necessary to have conflict in order for growth to occur. So when I talk to organizations, they're like, oh, everyone plays nice. You know, everyone's nice to each other. Uh, But there's still conflict that's occurring just because people aren't talking about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You also have very competitive cultures. We had recently 
a sales organization. They were in the stock exchange and they wanted to have a uh, a conflict resolution, be nice uh, kind of training. And we're like, and, and t- tell us more about that. You know, people need to be civil with each other. Well, are you trying to change the culture? They're like, no, we're just checking off the box because we have a very competitive, aggressive culture. And that's the way it is in this in this particular field, meaning in the stock market. And so we thought, okay, um, so you have these very highly competitive cultures competitive with each other, but their behaviors are very destructive when it comes to conflict. And, but they all equate that to being competitive. And then you have people first cultures where people come first and you, you even hear that in their slogans and in their values of their organizations. So what is your organization's culture and mindset? And if it's conflict avoidant or super competitive, it's definitely going to be a barrier and how you begin to start to address that, that's a very systemic issue. The second barrier is really about the misalignment with the organization's values and the leader's behaviors, because we model from the top up. And a lot of times we talk about coaching people to coach up, right, to coach their leaders. If they're not modeling the values, they're sending really mixed messages to not only their employees, but to their vendors, to their customers. You'll see people who have value companies that have values posted on their wall or on a piece of paper. But then you're like, okay, so what do you have in place to actually teach what those values mean? How do they translate into actual behaviors? How do you uh, check performance management with those behaviors so that you really are coming to the kind of culture that you wish to have? But if the top leaders aren't modeling that, that's going to be a huge uh, barrier for sure. And the last barrier I put here is not having the processes, the people, and the places available to manage or resolve conflict constructively. Working in the field, we, especially in the federal agencies, we worked what we called an integrated conflict management system, ICMS. And an integrated conflict management system is we, as an organization, embrace that conflict is natural and normal and necessary. But what are the processes we have in place? In other words, do we have uh, mediation available? Do we have ombuds available? Do we have coaches available? Do we have mediation opportunities? Do we have facilitated uh, organizational development specialists who provide facilitated dialogues? Or what are the processes you have in your place, either with through HR, employee relations, uh, or, or just maybe an organizational development office that helps teams? Uh, so what are those processes? Do you have a process? Who are the people that you can go to? Sometimes that depends on if you have an open door policy or not. But do you have an ombuds example? That would be the people. And then where are the places? Again, you know, these some of these overlap with each other, but really thinking about what is actually available to your teams, your employees to manage and resolve conflict constructively. So those are the three barriers I listed. Yeah, and you know, we really see that here at uh, CRP as well, the, the conflict denial, sort of, and that a lot of people, when you first talk to them, they're in denial that they also participate and are an actor in the conflict. So one of my favorite trainings that we deliver is how to deal with difficult people. And when people come in, they're never thinking of themselves as being the difficult person. And I love when we get to that part in the training where we're saying like, okay, 
now that we've shown you all of these different types of quote unquote difficult people, you're one of these people and that there are strategies people are having to implement with you when you get into contentious situations. And that the sooner that we all become aware of that and sensitive to that and respectful of that, then it's like we can take the step to actually resolve and manage conflict. Absolutely. So moving on, what advice do you have for organizations that wish to change and embrace a conflict competent culture? So if, if, if you have conflict competent leaders, they're championing processes and systems. So what might be some things they can do? First is support leadership or conflict coaching. What does your organization do either in-house or a program that allows your leaders to seek leadership development coaching, whether that's around emotional intelligence, conflict management? Conflict coaching, which is what I do a lot of, is a one-on-one process that helps anyone, really. But a lot of what I do is working with managers and leaders. They're actually in a conflict. Uh, actually, there's three things. They're either in a conflict and they, they need to get out of it and they don't know how to. They're stuck in a pattern. The other is that we have leaders come to us that they need to have a difficult conversation. You know, whether maybe it's a performance conversation, it could be a conduct conversation. They don't know how to approach that individual. Could be their own boss, the leader's boss. I've seen it where the leader really needs support, but their boss is conflict avoidant. So then it's like, how do I have this difficult conversation with my conflict avoidant boss? And the third reason people go to conflict coaching is the conflict is over with, but they're they're kind of having a negative impact on how it's left a residual impact on their relationship. Like, how do they understand? How did I get to that place? What and and this kind of gets to that contribution piece, Daniel, you were talking about, and that is they don't realize the contribution they made to the conflict that they contributed to the problem. And that conflict coaching is really eye opening in terms of that self-awareness and insight into how they are perceived by others and what could they do to change, to change their behaviors and align that with intention. So that conflict coaching can really deal with the specificity of those kind of conflicts. A second piece of advice is possibly even offer mentorship. You know, you have very experienced leaders in your organization. Where could you offer mentorship to high potential employees and frontline supervisors and managers? around how to relate and connect and engage and respectfully have these difficult or sticky conversations they themselves instead of going around others and gossiping. So offer some mentorship. The other is, again, offering uh, or supporting leadership development as well as offer training and conflict management and emotional intelligence for all employees. It's not just leaders that need developing, even potential Uh, potential to be a manager, the potential uh, to be a leader. It's like that leadership bench we talk about, which is, do we have anyone on the leadership bench ready to go? And if we don't, what are we doing to prepare them uh, to be managers and leaders? And I would say conflict management and emotional intelligence are huge factors in in being able to uh, effectively lead. The other is support a systems approach and offer a wide variety of approaches to resolving conflict. And we, I kind of mentioned that earlier, you know, conflict, maybe offer conflict coaching yourselves. 
uh, facilitated dialogue? Do you have an ombuds, even training managers to be mediators? You know, they're not formal mediators like EEO mediation, but do they know how to mediate or facilitate a conflict between two employees or two departments? So if you look at it more systemically, it can certainly help your organization to change and become more conflict competent. Well, yeah, I think it's it's really important that conflict management, being conflict competent is for everyone and not just on the backs of leaders, which I think a lot of people and a lot of employees assume, like, I'm just going to go to the manager and like, they're going to have to handle this conflict. But if it's employees now, you know how to handle conflict. So I think that's a, a great way to think about um, conflict management. So what resources do you recommend for our listeners who want to learn more about conflict management? The first thing I want to recommend is a a book that came out a while back. It's called Becoming a Conflict Competent Leader by Craig Rundy and Tim Flanagan. And they were out of Eckerd College in Florida. And in fact, they uh, developed the conflict dynamics profile. And the uh, authors also later came out with conflict competent teams. And so the, those two books are tied very specifically to the conflict dynamics profile, which I'm certified to do. But why I love the conflict dynamics profile, because I said as a competent, conflict competent leader, it's important to understand the dynamics of conflict. But what it looks at is it looks at what are your constructive behaviors to conflict, both active behaviors that, in other words, people can see them and passive behaviors. People can't see the behaviors like self, uh, self or critical thinking or self-reflection. It also looks at what are the behaviors you demonstrate that are destructive to conflict, like hiding emotions. A lot of people think I'm not going to show my emotion, but if you're not transparent and open, you actually erode trust that way as a leader. So how do you express emotions and how do you do that effectively? So it looks at that destructive and constructive behaviors. Where do you rate yourself? It also looks at what are your hot buttons? There are nine hot buttons that are very common to, and this was measured on uh, American leaders in the Western culture. So it's going to be based on those hot buttons like microaggression, trustworthiness, et cetera. So it's going to look at what are the things that bother you the most that cause you to explode or cause you to shut down. And so that that uh, particular conflict dynamics profile is really powerful. And people can go to conflictdynamicsprofile.org to see all of that information, as well as getting references to those two books. The other thing I'd like to give as a recommendation, I have two of my own mini books or little pocket sized books. It's called Stop the Dreaded Drama, 55 Tips for Ending Destructive Conflict. And the second one, which I would consider my favorite is stop avoiding conflict, learn how to address disputes before they erupt. The second, stop avoiding conflict, because me, myself, and I'm a recovering conflict avoider. I learned that very well early on as a child, you know, surviving uh, in a house that was filled with domestic violence where, you know, your voice was not counted. And so I had to really learn that it was okay to embrace conflict. I had to really learn that it was okay to be courageous and have a voice. And that's what I do a lot in my conflict coaching is work with people who 
need a voice. And so that particular mini book is, is based on stories, stories of my own stories or clients that I have coached to give examples of how do you get out of this situation? So I, that's one of my favorite books to do. And people can find that at endingdestructiveconflict.com. And the final resource is the Texas Conflict Coach. I founded the Texas Conflict Coach as a podcast program. We ran that for nine, almost nine years. We have 325 podcast programs on conflict management and resolution. And you can find that at texasconflictcoach.com. Awesome. So there's a lot of great, different great resources from podcasts to books to audiobooks. So listeners out there, you have options. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, Patty. Thank you so much for your time. To learn more about Patricia Porter, please visit conflictconnections.com. Thank you. This episode of First State Insights was brought to you through the Institute for Public Administration's Conflict Resolution Program, a resource dedicated to building statewide capacity for collaborative approaches to the resolution of conflict. To learn more, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening today. Make sure to subscribe to First State Insights and tune in again soon. Take care.